Welcome to the my-moo.com podcast. My-moo.com is your source for information on James Churchward and his theories of the lost continent of Moo. In July 2012, some claims surfaced that explorers had discovered the legendary metallic library from the Ecuadorian Cuerva del Tayos, or the Tayos Cave, made famous through Eric von Däniken's book, Gold of the Gods. The metallic library is sometimes associated with the theories of my great-grandfather James Churchward, and commonly cited as evidence of an advanced ancient civilization. Also, some people claim that the metallic plates that Padre Crespi held in his collection in Peru are also evidence of a lost Pacific Ocean continent named Mu and the advanced civilization from which we all spring. I am fortunate today to have the distinct honor to speak with Stan Grist, a researcher that has spent more than 20 years looking into the mysteries of the metallic library. Stan has interviewed everyone and tracked all the evidence, but don't let me steal his thunder. Good afternoon, Stan. Please tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started in your investigations. Hi, Jack. Thank you. Uh, it's good to talk to you here today. I'd like to start off by telling you how much the volumes that your great-grandfather wrote about the ancient continent of Mu and the sacred symbols and on and on, um, how much that means to me. Those books have been a very important part of my life and been an inspiration for decades now. So it's really a pleasure for me to be able to sit here and chat with you about an area of common interest today. Thank you very much. Oh, gee, I, this all started a long time ago in my life. I've been an explorer since I was <clears throat> in my young 20s. And I became, began coming to South America. I went first to Brazil. I worked in gold prospecting. I did some treasure hunting. But more than anything, I've been very interested in history and archaeology and especially the ancient history of South America and how that may relate to the lost continent of Mu and the lost continent of Atlantis. Uh, I'm fascinated by all the archaeological sites around the continent here. And I was living about back in the early 80s, I was living in Calgary, Alberta, and I was in a used bookstore one day going through some books in the history section and I came across a book by Eric von Däniken called Gold of the Gods. Uh, many people have already heard of that. It's a fairly famous book. And I, as I opened up the pages of the book, I began seeing some fascinating photographs. And I started to read some of the text and I saw that it had to do with uh, a tunnel system or a cave system in Ecuador. <clears throat> so my first impression was that <clears throat> if, the, the, if the information in that book was true, it would be so important to share that with mankind and to reveal more of it and bring it out into the light and to public. And so that was one of the first things that began my thinking of coming to Ecuador. I also ran into a number of other interesting books along the way. And finally, I got to the point in my life where I, I thought, Geez, I've read all of this information and it all seems so interesting and, and Ecuador seems like such an interesting country, but it certainly can't all be true. It sounds way too good to be true. So I decided to get on a plane and come down to Ecuador and have a look around for myself. And I did that and when I got here to Ecuador, 
I saw that things were actually much better than I had hoped. Things were great. There was, uh, I found a lot of gold. I found a lot of archaeology. I found ancient history. And I began looking for the man named in Eric von Däniken's book, a man by the name of Juan Moritz. Juan was the man who claimed to have discovered this cave slash ancient tunnel system back in 1969. And he's mentioned extensively in the book. And I began to, I went to Guayaquil where he was said to live. And I began looking around and very quickly I was able to track him down and find him. And this is back in the early 80s. And I had the chance to go into his library and his office and spend some quality time asking him a lot of questions that I had on my mind. And those were my very first days here in Ecuador. And over the decades, uh, I decided to move down here permanently. I decided to get into some gold mining. And today, I live in the city of Cuenca. And Cuenca, Ecuador, here is where Father Crespi lived. And this is where the Crespi collection was housed for a long, long time. Unfortunately, by the time I got to Cuenca, Father Crespi had died just a few years previous. And also I discovered that there had been a fire. And the fire had destroyed a lot of his, uh, his storage area. They call it a bodega in Spanish. And a number of pieces were rescued, but in the process, the ceramic artifacts in the Father Crespi collection uh, had been saved and they had been taken and housed in the central bank of Ecuador in the, archae the archaeological museum. However, the metallic artifacts in Father Crespi's collection had mysteriously disappeared. So I'm extremely disappointed to tell you that I never had an opportunity to actually see the pieces or handle them with my own hands. But after my conversation with Juan Moritz, I, I was left up in the air. Some of the things he told me didn't seem quite right to me. And other things fascinated me to no end. So that began a 20-year project of investigation. I had been a private investigator before coming to Ecuador, so I was familiar with investigative techniques and how to track people down and how to interview them and how to piece the different pieces of evidence together to create a picture. And so that's what I've been doing here for the past 20 years, not full-time, but I've devoted a lot of time every single year to this investigation. And... Um, that's what we're here to talk about today. Well, what has your research revealed about the Taos Cave? Well, <laughs> I began by going to the Taos Cave and looking into it myself. I didn't go very far in. We only went in for about three or three and a half hours and had a close look at a number of different features that I had been told about and by the time our tour was done that day I arrived at the conclusion that I had only seen um, natural cave uh, all I had seen is a natural cave I had not seen any evidence of an advanced culture anywhere now there were bits and pieces of old ceramic pottery probably at least several hundred years old but those are from the local inhabitants the Shuar natives and their their, um, their relatives in the distant past, but once again, this was no evidence of an advanced culture. So then I decided to begin tracing the story of the Taos Cave to see where it came from exactly. 
and what it was all about and to look into expeditions that had already been carried out. So my investigations took me all the way back to a meeting between Juan Moritz and another Ecuadorian gentleman named Petronio Jaramillo. And unfortunately, Petronio Jaramillo has passed away, but I was able to track down his first wife. And Petronio Jaramillo had a very interesting life. He spent a number of years in the military in the southern jungles of Ecuador. And during that time, he had the opportunity to, dis, uh, to, to explore a cave that he was told about, the Tayos Cave, to be specific. And he went into the cave system, and he, had, uh, he spent quite a bit of time there and was able to look around, and he saw that it was an immense cave system. By the way, nobody has ever been to the end of this cave. It continues on and on, and nobody knows exactly how large it is. Anyway, he came back and was living in Quito and got married after his military duty was up. And he decided that he wanted to create a very successful and adventurous novel, a work of fiction. And so he took pieces of his life and put them together and began uh, dictating the makings of, a, of an adventure novel. And his wife served as his, uh, as his scribe. She took down his dictation. And so every night before they would go to bed, they'd spend an hour or two. And in her words, I've interviewed her on video. I have a record of it. In her words, um, he would go about piecing together this story and dictating it. And she wrote everything down that he said. And the story that he came up with was of a very important discovery in, an, in a cave in, in, southern, in the jungles of southern Ecuador. And in the... the fictional work that he was creating, he talked about discovering a metallic library and very advanced artifacts from an advanced civilization and crystal skulls and stone doors weighing many tons that opened and closed automatically. And he came up with all sorts of very interesting components to his story. <clears throat> and in fact, if you read the book called Beyond the Andes by Pino Tirola. Pino Tirola had the chance to interview Petronio Jaramillo and he goes into quite a bit of detail about Jaramillo telling this story. And, and to Pino Tirola it was actually quite funny the way it all came out. And Pino Tirola tape recorded that conversation and to this day Pino Tirola's widow Renee has a copy of that tape. And so what was created as a work of fiction quickly became something more than that after Jaramillo had the chance to meet Juan Moritz back in, the, in the, um, 1967 or 1968 approximately. Once Juan Moritz heard the story of the cave or the tunnel, uh, he became very interested in turning it into a work of nonfiction. So in 1969, he went to the site of this cave and went in the cave. And when he came out, all of a sudden, he claimed to have seen all of the things that appeared in Jaramillo's work of fiction. So that is how the whole thing started. And then eventually, Eric Von Daniken caught wind of this story, and he flew here to Ecuador. And he went to meet with Juan Moritz. And he, his, his demeanor was quite offensive to Juan Moritz. Juan Moritz never liked him. 
And Juan Moritz never took him to a cave or a tunnel. And yet, Eric von Däniken, in his book, Gold of the Gods, claimed to have gone into the cave, which he claimed then to be a tunnel system. And he claims to have seen all of these fantastic things with his own eyes. Of course, in subsequent years after the book was published, he finally admitted that that was not true. And when I met Juan Moritz, he was still extremely troubled by Eric von Däniken, and he went to a great extent to call Eric von Däniken a lot of bad names, and he was not at all happy about the claims that Eric von Däniken had made. And yet it appears that perhaps Eric von Däniken was the smartest of all because he's the one who made a lot of money from the publishing of his work. That pretty much covers uh, your research and that perhaps the Teos Cave is is not as advertised. So how do Padre Crespi's artifacts fit into this picture? That's an excellent question. And once again, I feel very disappointed that I never had the chance to inspect them for myself. I've only seen numerous photos of his artifacts. And I've seen videos, some old videos that were taken, for example, of Stanley Hall visiting Father Crespi here in Cuenca many years ago. And I've seen other photographs of a, a delegation from the Mormon Church who visited pa Father Crespi and took photos holding large artifacts up that appeared to be gold, that appeared to be made of gold. And so I've spoken with archaeologists um, from the, back from the 1960s and 70s who were able to examine some of the metallic pieces in the collection. And their overall opinion was quite negative. Uh, they felt that the pieces were not authentic, that they were not ancient, and that they had been made in modern times. Not necessarily by Father Crespi, but by perhaps some of the natives and other people hoping to gain favor in Father Crespi's eyes. However, the fact that some archaeologists would express certain doubts is not enough for me to conclude that they were not authentic. And as I look at them, many of them look like they've come from the Near East, uh, the, Mid, the Mideast, the Middle East. Uh, they look like they're from the Sumerians or the Akkadians. There are pyramids depicted. There are a number of things that really have a certain ring of authenticity to them. So I feel terrible to have to say that I really cannot offer a constructive opinion about the authenticity of those pieces in the Father Crespi collection. And more than anything, I would love to find out where they are today. And in fact, as recently as just last week, I continue to go around and ask questions and investigate the possible whereabouts. Um, I have a, an appointment scheduled with a Jesuit priest here in Cuenca. Uh, he'll be returning from Europe in about three weeks. And we're scheduled to sit down and have a very long conversation about who Father Crespi was, about his life, and especially about the collection that he had. So I look forward, as soon as I am able to have that conversation, I look forward to being able to share that with you and your viewers, Jack. I think, I think we might be able to come up with some very interesting information. Well, that sounds outstanding. Then, then perhaps we'll... Uh take a break here and we'll do part two after you have the opportunity to speak with the Jesuit Padre. I would love to do that. It's been a pleasure, Jack. I always enjoy talking to you and I look forward to more conversations in the future. 
Okay, well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today on this fascinating subject, and we'll be getting back with you soon. Okay, Jack, that sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you. The my-moo.com podcast will be created on an irregular basis and address the state of the research, post interviews with knowledgeable people, and challenge the status quo to arrive at a more complete understanding of James Churchward and his theory of a lost Pacific Ocean continent. Please check back frequently at my-moo.com or join our email list to keep up to date on our progress and join the discussions. This production copyright 2011 by Jack Churchward, all rights reserved.